For your Saturday morning coffee with Reese Boyd. So wake me up when it's all over. When I'm wiser and I'm older. All this time I was fighting myself and I didn't know I was gone. Reese Boyd is on right now. Talk 94.5. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. I am Reese Boyd, local attorney here in town with the firm of Davis and Boyd. Thanks for joining us here on this episode of Saturday Morning Coffee. It's Saturday Morning Coffee for Saturday, August 20th, 2022. Thanks for joining us here on the big show. It's Saturday morning coffee. We invite you to sit down, pour yourself a cup of your favorite coffee. Join us as we talk about the news, current events, all the things happening in this crazy world that we live in. All these things we think you need to know here at Saturday morning coffee. We're all about limited government, lower taxes, all the things that mean more freedom, more freedom for you, more freedom for me. More freedom for all of us who are we the people starts right here in the studio, folks. We've got a country to save. Don't let it be lost on your watch. Joined here in the studio, as always, every Saturday morning by producer extraordinaire, Dr. Glenn Dye. Dr. Dye, how you doing this morning? Doing great, man. Got a great cup of coffee this morning, Reese. How what, about you? What's the drink of choice this morning? It is the fairy tale end of the... Um, the mother, mother of all of blends. All blends yes. The mother of all blends. The very tale. Very good. We got some more One Nation coffee to give away, Glenn. Who knows? Maybe yeah. you'll uh, maybe you'll win a little One Nation coffee <laughs> here today on the show. No, I can't. It's. Uh, I am still drinking uh, the Reveille blend, and it is the uh, best stuff, Glenn. I tell you, I am really impressed with One Nation coffee, and I'm not just uh, saying that because they've been kind to the show. As a matter of fact, I want to congratulate James from Myrtle Beach. James won some One Nation coffee. On last week's episode of Saturday Morning Coffee, he stopped by the office to pick up, he stopped by Davis and Boyd to pick up his winnings. He won a Saturday Morning Coffee mug and and, uh, a sample of One Nation Coffee. He called me later or sent a message. I forget exactly how he contacted the office, but he said, this stuff is great. I think he might have texted me. He said, where can I buy more? Oh, very good. So, James, you can buy more One Nation Coffee at OneNationCoffee.com. And you can also, everybody else, you're encouraged to join him in that effort. OneNationCoffee.com. Use your Saturday morning coffee promo code. You'll get a little discount, 10% off. And all the One Nation coffee you would like to consume is readily available and will be delivered to your doorstep. And with that One Nation, excuse me, with that Saturday morning coffee uh, bonus promo code. You'll get an even better price on it than the already good prices offered by the folks at One Nation Coffee. And the other thing about One Nation Coffee is every dollar you spend, a portion of that dollar goes to benefit the One Nation Foundation, yep. which they use to benefit first responders and veterans and folks in uh, in, in economic needs. And so, that's what we're all about. Yeah, it's you know, a great it's way per- to help. It, it's a perfect fit for your show. It's a perfect fit, great it, way I'm to help so out. I'm so glad that you can get Mike Lindell, the, you know, my pillow coffee or whatever. This One Nation is the way to go. It's the way to go. <laughs> you know, and I like Mike Lindell. I really do. I like him. But after a while, you get kind of saturated. You're like, okay, Mike, I'm supporting you. I've got three or four of your pillows in my house. They're They're overpriced, but they do the job. 
and I feel like I've done my part. I don't need to buy everything from you. you well, know, you only have like a limited time to try out his um, his slippers because it sounds like when they're gone, they're gone. So it when they're gone, like they're that gone. Did not happen, you know, the way he anticipated. But he was selling. But wait, sli- there's more. He was selling slippers for like 130. dollars I know. I'm like, who pays and, that much for slippers? And now dude? you can get them for as low as 29.99. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> dealing. I'm not digging the slippers. No, I'm, I'm not. There's I didn't, no way. Yeah, I didn't buy in on the slipper uh, deal. I buy shoes for like 40 bucks. I'm not buying a pair of slippers. For but they're four they're four layers of comfort whatever on those slippers i can buy at least 10 <laughs> pairs of slippers for that probably i'm not sure i've ever even purchased a pair of slippers i think oh, yeah. maybe i had a pair given to me but that was about the extent of it i so. actually wore slippers for a long time um but it's hard to find them without the you know the uh, fur inside mm-hmm. so what i've done now is i'm take, taking a pair of sketchers the slip-on sketchers and yeah. those are now my house shoes oh, and, there you it, go. and it works much better you got a lot more support you know I just go with the flip-flops, dude. I'm not a flip-flop guy. You're not a flip-flop guy? I'm very, I rarely have on flip-flops. Well, I will say this. Uh, one of the one of the highlights of growing up at the beach is, like, I've got barefoot. I'm either barefoot or flip-flops or the full the, the whole money. Alan Edmonds leather, you know. Yeah. I either got a nice shoe, pair of shoes on or I got flip-flops. They don't have a lot of in, in between. Well, I, I look at shoes as kind of like camouflage. When you yeah. got a size 13 or 14, it's really odd when somebody looks at your feet and they're like, good God, look at the size. Of, it's Boy, like you got some big feet. Yeah, walk on the beach, people think they saw Bigfoot. You know? <laughs> I did see a Bigfoot, but not the Bigfoot. Some women would be impressed by that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point in the show, folks, I would often invite you to uh, join us here on the show by dialing in. Actually, today in this particular instance, Saturday morning coffee is being recorded ahead of time. We're actually recording the show on Friday, August the 19th. So you cannot call in today. I cannot thank you for joining us uh, by way of the PCRX Mobile Outfitters text line. However, we do appreciate your listening to Saturday Morning Coffee, and we will be giving away some more of that fine One Nation coffee during the show. You can, of course, email your comments show topic ideas questions mailbag input the email address for the show is reese boyd smc at gmail.com you can tweet the show at uh, the following twitter handle at reese boyd and of course many of many of you love to call the office uh, during normal business hours monday through friday that of course always an option reach me at the offices of davis and boyd anytime during normal business hours that number at the law firm is 843-839-9800 we've got a great show uh, coming up for you today we're going to be talking to michael ferris here on uh, the program michael ferris is the president of the alliance defending freedom we're going to be telling us a little bit mike's going to be telling us a little bit about what alliance defending freedom is most of you who listen to the show are familiar with ADF because uh, I am an attorney allied with the Alliance Defending Freedom. Alliance Defending Freedom has been busy for uh, quite some time, several decades now, defending your religious uh, liberty and other first freedoms in the courts across the land, including the Supreme Court. Many victories won by ADF there. So Mike Ferris is going to be joining us to talk about ADF, its mission, and some recent victories that are worth noting, including the Dobbs case, which ADF was instrumental in the overturn of Roe versus Wade. We're going to be talking about, on that topic, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, our own developments here in South Carolina with our own Supreme Court on the Roe versus Wade front. Uh, So interesting to talk to Mike today. Also, we're going to be talking to John 
John Malcolm. John is with the Heritage Foundation. John is with the uh, specifically the Heritage Institute for Constitutional Government. Uh, John is going to be uh, talking to us about this unfolding drama down in Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach and the unfolding, um, whatever you want to call it, this, this I would say it's a, a constitutional crisis brewing over the search and seizure of the former president, Donald Trump's uh, personal effects offices, uh, presidential records at his residence at Mar-a-Lago. So we'll be talking to John about that and look forward to getting his take on uh, what is happening there and what will continue to happen and what we can expect. So all that and more, we've got an artificial intelligence update, all that and much more here on this episode of Saturday Morning Coffees. Have, have you told them why we're here today? We've had over, almost a foot of rain this morning, and uh, we've got Scott Richards in the parking lot building an ark. Yeah, uh, building an ark. There, so, is, there is more rain expected today and tomorrow, this weekend as well. So um, we have had flooding around the whole area. And, yeah. So and Scott, are you done with the ark yet? It's uh, still going. Uh, in light of the scheduling difficulties and everything that we were anticipating for this weekend, so we decided to record this show ahead of time so folks uh stick with us we'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with more saturday morning coffee i'm reese boyd that's glenn die don't leave town everybody welcome back to saturday morning coffee the reese boyd radio hour it's saturday morning coffee for saturday august the 20th 2022 thanks for joining us here on the big show so a lot going on this week a lot to talk about a lot a uh, lot to cover with you guys this morning and uh let's uh mention a few of the things that you know one of the things that's this time of year always uh, a, a shift of season glenn the children are back in school and it makes you realize that summer is over and you got to get got to get yourself reoriented back into the school routine yeah mom's got to buy more wine yeah <laughs> there seems to be an uptick in the drama around my household <laughs> as i would imagine there there are around most households sure. just you know summer's a more relaxed time we're not on we're not on much of a schedule don't have to get the kids up early no let them sleep in a little bit let them sleep in and of course school rolls around and you got to get you got to tighten things up and get everything uh, back on track. You know, it's funny. I, um, I was, uh, thinking about that just this week. My kids were back in school on Wednesday. I think public schools started Monday of this week. So Ori County schools back in session. My kids go to, uh, Christian Academy. They, um, they were, uh, they were back in school on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So it was funny, Glenn, I was actually in court on Wednesday. And, and of course you always, you, you, your life is different when the kids are in school sure. versus when they're home yep. and when, they're, when they're home for the summer they're generally not worried about dad i generally don't hear from them i see them when i get home from work they've been running around doing their thing the funny thing is though in when they're in school i see i seem to hear from them more 
Wow. And which I guess is reasonable, I guess. But I was in court on Wednesday, first day of school. And so I'm sitting there and I was listening to uh, the opposing counsel uh, cross-examine or, or excuse me, direct examine his witness. And uh, by the way, while, while I'm on the subject of court, let me just say this to our listeners down in Georgetown. You guys have elected a fine probate judge in Lee Bone. You got an excellent probate judge down in Georgetown County. She does an excellent job. So let me give my hats off to uh, to Judge Bone. But I'm sitting in court on uh, Wednesday listening to the opposing counsel uh, examine his witness. Of course, I'm listening intently because you want to figure out what you're going to do with your cross-examination, right? Mm-hmm. You got to figure out what questions are you going to ask? Right. What subjects are you going to delve into? What are you going to leave alone? Where do you think you can make some headway? Where can you maybe make their credibility come into question? That sort of thing. So you got to listen intently. So I, my phone is on silent, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm in the courtroom, but it starts buzzing a little bit. And I look down and, and I see my daughter is texting me. And it's all caps now. All caps. That's like screaming yeah. in the text world, right? Yeah. It says, Dad, serious problem. And so I'm trying to listen, and I'm, and of course my heart immediately starts racing. I'm sure. like, okay, what is this all about, Dad? Serious problem, and then I get the little, the three little dots that's you know show somebody's typing, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know what? There's been a car wreck, you know, zombie attack yeah, at the school, yeah, yeah. you know, the apocalypse. What exactly am I about to? And I'm so I'm sitting there looking at my phone, trying to listen to opposing counsel question his witness obviously want to pay attention to what's happening and uh, but i'm watching my phone it's got the little dot dot dots mm-hmm. the three little dots that tell you that the other person is typing so for what seemed like an eternity she was typing so finally it comes up it says the coke all caps still the coke machine does not accept cash <laughs> now i can't get a diet coke <laughs> wow wow <laughs> that was the emergency <laughs> Glenn, that was speaking of drama. That was the emergency. So in the school, they expect the kids to be carrying a credit card now, or are they buying tokens or what? Uh, apparently, I I okay. I was just glad to know that nobody was dead. Right. There was nobody well, on the in, way to the in hospital. To, in today, you really have yeah. to worry about your kids are going off to school, and parents are worried or concerned that yes. their schools aren't. Why haven't we hired eighty-seven thousand school? Exactly. People to protect the kids. I wrote her back. I said, sorry, I'm in a trial. How exactly do you expect me to assist you with this problem at the moment? So we had an interesting discussion. But, you know, a lot of drama comes along with getting the kids back in school. But it's a it's a it's a fun time of year. Get back into a routine um, football season right around the corner. So that's all part of this transition that we do every August. So it's a shift. I don't really enjoy it. I love summer. Summer, spring, and summer are my favorite right. seasons. But I love college football. So well, in the fall at the beach is great. I mean, we oh yeah, to, absolutely. We used to always say September, October is not a bad time to be at the beach. No, it's not. You know, but uh, a lot going on this week. Of course, we had Liz Cheney get uh, shellacked Aww. in her reelection bid. Did you see? I assume yeah. you saw all the fallout from that. This from Fox News. Several Republican lawmakers and conservative pundits took to social media Tuesday to share their thoughts. On Representative Liz Cheney, one of 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach former President Trump as she lost her reelection bid in Wyoming. Cheney, who currently serves as vice chair of the House's January 6th committee investigating the Capitol protest, lost the Wyoming primary election to Republican Harriet Hageman, a Trump-backed primary 
challenger. Uh, and it wasn't even close. Glenn Hageman basically got two votes for every mm-hmm. vote that Cheney got. And it's uh, sort of, I think it was T- Tucker who said it's the end of a dynasty. Uh, you know, yeah. it's the, I mean, yeah. the, the Cheneys, frankly, have basically run uh, Wyoming politics for decades. Well, unfortunately, this past year, she's not been involved too much with the state of Wyoming. That is one of the reasons that she failed, not only that she voted to impeach Donald Trump and go after Donald Trump, but the fact that her people just said they weren't she wasn't doing anything for them, that she was hell bent on spending the rest of her time. On yeah. taking down Donald Trump and Her, making sure that he never gets near the White House again. She suffered from Trump derangement syndrome. Yeah, I think so. And as history will teach some of these people, if they are willing to listen, uh, Glenn, that's not a recipe for success. Nope. If, if And I don't care what you're doing, if whether you're a politician, whatever the case may be, if your sole motivating influence in life is to destroy somebody, uh, you're you're more than likely just going to destroy yourself. Right. And I think that's what we see yep. playing out with Liz Cheney. She hadn't done anything to Donald Trump. I mean, really. She, uh, no, the but, only thing she's done is illustrate how rabid and maniacal the progressive left and the left wing of the Republican Party have been in their pursuit, pursuit of this guy. Right, right. And, and she definitely doesn't act like a Republican. Oh, no. <laughs> well, and you know, it's interesting. Uh, somebody was uh, on talk radio saying that she actually has voted with Trump. If you just look at the policies mm-hmm. of Trump, she has voted with Trump 93 to 94% of the time, something right. like 93, 95%. So she doesn't disagree with Trump's policies mm-hmm. to the extent that you can say, okay, this is what Trump believes in philosophically. She apparently doesn't. It's all personal. She right. literally hates the man. Right. And, and as there's a lesson in life. You know, people tell you don't carry grudges. Don't let hatred be your defining right. emotion. It just it destroys you. It doesn't do anything to the other person. Mm-hmm. And, and we, I think we see that's like a it's like a Shakespearean tragedy. Right. You know, you see it playing out in the life of of Lynn Cheney right before you. And I noticed her quote. I listened to the speech, which was just Abraham pathetic. Lincoln? Yeah. Lincoln? Aside from comparing herself to Abraham Lincoln, which is. I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. She said, I have said since January the 6th that I will do whatever it takes. Yes, whatever it takes. To ensure that Donald Trump is never again anywhere near the Oval Office. And I mean it. And when she said that, Glenn, I thought about, you know, here she is. She she has a leadership role on the House January 6th committee. She is, quote unquote, the Republican nominee. She is where Republicans are supposed to be able to look uh, to for fairness and due process in the proceedings. And here she is. Uh, she's she's proving by her comments what a show trial, what a star chamber the January 6th committee has been. Right. I mean, how would you feel if the if you're if you knew somebody or had a family member who was on trial for some criminal proceeding and the judge walks out and uh, and, and on the courthouse steps and said, you know what? I always knew that Glenn's brother was a, a royal POS. And I said I was going to do whatever it takes right. to put him in jail for the rest of his life. And that's what I intend to do. I mean, you'd be like, well, wait a minute, dude. <laughs> yeah. This doesn't sound like a fair trial. It, it And it was perfect that she said that and that painted her exactly what we thought i mean but she came out of her own mouth Mm -hmm. Um, she will do anything and when you say i will do anything to destroy somebody that is a 
Trump deranged syndrome, I believe. Yeah, and um, you've got if if that is the way you feel, and look, you're entitled to your opinion, but don't be so willing and ready to say things like that. Right. If if the House has put you in a position of authority on a fact finding commission, yep. she's got no business running those meetings. Well, and I believe she had 15 million to spend on campaigning for her position still, but uh she only spent seven and a half, which means she still has seven and a half million in the bucket that she could contribute to any campaign, any political campaign. Oh yeah. yeah. But she it sounds like she's gathering more money now and it sounds like her next step is to take on, you know, and try and become the president of the United States. Well, um, I, I was wondering that very thing. Do you honestly think that she's that stupid. She would. Who would support her? She has lost the the whole Republican Party. There's nobody in the Republican Party that would support her. And and what's her claim to fame? My dad was the vice president, and I haven't shot anybody in the face. I haven't shot anybody on any hunting trips. Yeah. I mean, what's her claim to fame? I, she's, what has she done? Um, she, I believe she's going to be a history. I, I don't believe she has a political career. I, I think her political career is over. Yeah. Uh, she she is, I think, will be a sad footnote in history who pursued Donald J. Trump uh, on this, uh, again, this bizarre Trump derangement syndrome mission that she's been on to destroy him. And I think that's going to be uh, her undoing. Frankly, it's the end of her political career. And I think she's going to be remembered as sort of a, a sad footnote. You know, somebody told me that Trump was the wrecking ball of modern American politics. And think about how many people, Glenn, have literally wrecked their political careers trying to destroy Donald J. Trump. Yeah. And Donald J. Trump is like that Timex watch on the bow of the boat. (laughs) You know, he's still ticking. He just takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Well, Teflon Don doesn't really fit him. You know, Don Don Gotti, was it? Don Gotti? Yeah, Teflon Don, Don Gotti. Yeah. Yeah. But literally, I mean, think of the politicians in the last cycle and, in, and, and now in this cycle that have literally destroyed their political careers, right. trying to destroy him. Yeah. And look, if you're a politician, if, again, this applies to everybody, not just politicians. But if, you're, if, you're, if your platform is the destruction of one person in particular, you're not going to win. That's, there's no political future in making that your raison d'etre. Um, so are we going to take a break? What's yeah, the game we are. Let's and take actually a break. actually said raison d'etre. I, I found out if you can't think of a word that you, you can't come to your head, yeah. just say, I'm having trouble f- remembering the English word for that. That way you sound bilingual and not stupid. Yeah, you sound bilingual. <laughs> yeah. It's the raison d'etre. Yeah. Je, the je ne sais quoi. We'll be right back, folks, with more Saturday morning coffee. I'm Reese Boyd. That's Glenn Dye. Don't leave town. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Thanks for sticking with us here on the big show. As promised, we're talking today about the ongoing and unfolding saga of this seizure, this raid that occurred down at Mar-a-Lago, down in Palm Beach, the former president's winter residence. And we're joined here on the studio uh, on the show today 
by John Malcolm. John is with the Heritage Foundation. He is the vice president of the Heritage Institute for Constitutional Government. He is the director of the Mies Center, and he is also the Ed and Sherry Gilbertson Senior Legal Fellow with Heritage. So we are honored to have him here on the program with us this morning. John, welcome to Saturday Morning Coffee. My pleasure. Happy to be with you. We love Heritage and everything that you guys do. John, I've been reading your stuff for literally decades, and we just appreciate the intelligence that you guys bring into the public square. Of course, everybody has been so concerned. I've been extremely concerned since last Monday we learned about the raid at Mar-a-Lago. And it seems to me that this is a very dark day for the Constitution, and we're in the midst of something that could easily become, if it isn't already, a constitutional crisis. But what, what's, uh, what's your, as a, as a believer in uh, constitutional government and the rule of law, which I, I know you are, what's your take on what we see happening? Yeah, I, I should also add, by the way, that I'm a former federal prosecutor, so I'm, I'm intimately familiar with the search warrant process. Look, certainly what has happened is unprecedented. And the thought of going in and executing a search warrant on the home of a of a former president, uh, presumably over a dispute about presidential record, is amazing to me. Uh, the FBI claims that it was searching for classified information. I take that seriously. The mm-hmm. inventory of documents that were taken indicate that there were some documents that bore classification markings, everything from the confidential level up to what's referred to as sensitive compartmented information. That's just above top secret. Uh, But there's going to be a very big legal question about whether or not President Trump, when he was still president, declassified that information. And, of course, everybody knows that the FBI did not conduct a raid on the home of Hillary Clinton that she shared with another former president, Bill Clinton, their home in Chappaqua, New York, even though she had installed a private server there and received and distributed classified information from her time as Secretary of State. Perhaps they should have gone and seized that server because she wiped it clean, had her aides destroy her mobile devices with a hammer, and had her attorneys delete over 33,000 emails that she claimed were purely of a personal nature. And a couple of things come to to mind that have been debated. I, I hear differing versions. I wonder if you could give me your take on it. Some say that it is the pre- that the president is the ultimate decider, that he can declassify anything that he wants to declassify. And if, in fact, Trump declared that all the records that he removed from the White House and took with him to Mar-a-Lago were declassified, that that's the end of the inquiry. But then I, I've also had some other I've listened to some other folks who have uh, opined, know that there are records, certain records that the president can't declassify. Do you have any opinion on, on how yeah. far the president's authority goes? I do, although it's, it's a tentative one because these are untested questions. There are certain statutes uh, like, for instance, it's been rumored that these records dealt with nuclear weapons. And there is a statute, the Atomic Energy Act. It says that if you want to declassify that kind of information, uh, that the Department of Energy is supposed to clear before that happens. But the president's authority to declassify, to classify and declassify information does not come from a statute. It comes from the Constitution. The Supreme Court, in a 1988 case called Department of the Navy versus Egan, said that the president's authority derives from his Article II power as the commander-in-chief. And no statute trump the constitution so if that is correct 
then the president really has, under his constitutional authority, brought an unfettered authority to declassify documents in the same way that a president can pardon individuals. He has that unilateral authority in the Constitution. He can just say, I pardon, name the person for having committed these crimes, and that's it. The person is pardoned. You don't need to document uh, or procedure to jump through. Right, but... You know, it's going to be a real question of how whether that policy, that declassification policy existed and whether he, in fact, did declassify these documents. He didn't do himself any favors by not documenting it in some way. But it will certainly be a big hurdle for the Department of Justice to be clear if they really are planning on charging him with possessing these classified records. But once he leaves office, obviously, he cannot declassify them ex post facto. He can't do it after the fact. He's got he's, he's right. he no longer has that authority, clearly. He's just a private citizen. That's right. He cannot do that. Isn't it uh interesting, John, that they did this this they processed or or got judicial approval. I, I hesitate to use those words. But isn't it striking that they did this with a or it seems striking to me. I'm not a former federal prosecutor, but right. Isn't it sort of interesting that they did this with a federal magistrate and and not even just a federal, any federal magistrate, but one that seems to be a bit of a political hack and fairly obvious from his Facebook post? It doesn't it seems to me that if I was the DOJ and the FBI and I wanted this thing to come off uh, without the kind of criticism that they're receiving now, that I would have gone to a U.S. district court judge, some senior U.S. district court judge, and I would have gotten somebody with a little more gray hair to to pass over on this is that unusual yeah i'll i'm going to push back on that uh so the standard practice is to present search warrants affidavits to u.s magistrate judges okay Uh, and so there was nothing unusual about presenting this to a u.s magistrate judge uh in the district where mar-a-lago is located in fact it would have been unusual had they not done that i know nothing about this magistrate judge bruce reinhardt i don't know about his social posts yeah. I know that he was, you know, he's not he's not Senate confirmed, but he was appointed by the district court judges in that district. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about his politics. I, I heard he contributed to Obama, but I've, Obama, but I've also heard he contributed to Jeb Bush. But it is standard practice to present search warrant affidavits to magistrate, to magistrate judges, judges, not federal district. So there's nothing unusual about that. I knew it. I knew it was common, but obviously this is. I mean, it's common for magistrates to review search warrant applications, but it's right. like they're almost treating this as if it's a, a raid down at the local bus station where they, you know, they, they think that the 905, you know, had some illicit <laughs> drugs uh, come in on it. You know, it's it just I mean, we're talking about something that has never happened in the history of this nation. We're searching the former yeah. <laughs> the former president's home. And uh, yeah, look, they certainly could have. The, the magistrate judge could certainly have said, I don't want to touch this with a 10 foot pole. Go present this to the duty district court judge. Yeah. But he didn't. Yeah. Uh, and it's not unusual for magistrate judges to sign off on this thing. What do you think of the Department of Justice's uh, representation or statement that they knew nothing about the search, that it was purely. Uh, you mean the White House? I'm the sorry. Yeah, the, I'm sorry. The White House. Yeah, the White House. I, I yeah. misspoke. Well, I've. I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised for a couple of reasons. One is because this was going to immediately be news, and you would think that, that President Biden or somebody in the administration would want to have a heads up about that, mm-hmm. even if he didn't have any say in terms of whether to approve it or not. The other reason I'm surprised by that is if the reason for going in is that former President Trump had documents in his possession that were so potentially damaging to our national security or so potentially damaging to our relations with foreign nations 
you would think that the Department of Justice would want to give President Biden a heads up about that and to say, look, we are going into these documents. And the reason we're doing it is because if they are released or destroyed, it could harm national security. And you as the president of the United States need to know that. President Biden has said he did not get a heads up. I don't know whether he's lying or not, but, you know, that's that's what he says. Seems to be a trend. I mean, they're lying, but but he. Why did would they get this on Friday and then wait till Monday, Monday. if it was so if urgent was... to national security? Well, look. The other question to ask is: It's been reported that Merrick Garland sat on this thing for weeks before making a decision to approve the search warrant. So you could just as easily ask: yeah. Well, if these things were were so critical that they had to go in and get them uh, immediately, and they didn't trust. President Trump to turn them over, you know, former President Trump to turn them over voluntarily. Why did he sit on this for weeks? Uh, so there are all kinds of questions along those lines. Of course, I don't know the nature of the documents they're getting, and I don't know why they felt the need to execute a search warrant rather than just going in and either subpoenaing them or asking him voluntarily to turn them over. Presumably, they had a confidential informant who said he's lying, former President Trump's lying to you when he says he cooperate, he's cooperating, he's hiding these documents, and he's either going to distribute them or destroy them unless you go in and take them. But we don't know that for sure. Part The, the judge, the magistrate judge who signed the warrant, Bruce Reinhart, is considering unsealing at least a part of the affidavit. Uh, he's asked the Justice Department to submit a redacted version uh, next Thursday. He, of course, has the original version, so he can compare the redacted version and the original ver- version, and then he'll decide how much of it to release. We'll see. Yeah, it's interesting to me. I, I was, I mean, there's so much about this that, that just doesn't seem to add up. The It seems to me like the DOJ is going to come back with a highly redacted version, and and that will send probably the judge into the but into his chambers to look at it, he'll come back to them and say, no, redact less. And they might be at this for a while. It just, I don't know. It's, it seems to me like the, the, the whole manner in which this thing has evolved, uh, John just seems so, I, I know it's improper is not the right word. It just, it, it feels like this is, is an area that we should not be delving into. And, and for instance, let me just give you this, a question to think about, and uh, sure. we'll, we'll we'll take a break in just a minute. But uh, one of the um, one of the questions in my mind is: you look at the search warrant itself, and it's extremely broad. Mm-hmm. You know, it has page after page of references to boxes of documents, and then you look in the, the 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 verbiage within the search warrant. It says all of these documents, which go from January of 2017 to January of 2021, basically his entire presidency is the time frame. Any document related to anything within his presidency, those four years, and any document in the proximity, in the boxes surrounding those documents. So how do you, how do you interpret this as anything other than just a fishing expedition? Well, it, it's not basically his entire term. It is, in fact, his entire term. Yeah. Uh, and they basically said to seize all presidential records. And the only justification I can do for that, not that I'm looking to justify what the FBI has done, is to say that people put documents next to other documents often for a reason. They relate to each other. So you would want to not only consider what presidential records are there, but what other private documents might relate to the matters covered in those presidential records. But the whole thing is certainly very unusual, and the judge will ultimately decide on his own time schedule whether to release any of this affidavit, and if so, how much 
it's going to be redacted. My yeah. prediction is he's only going to let be released what has been leaked already. Well, no, nothing about the affidavit's been leaked other than it's been said that a confidential informant was involved. But, yeah, my guess is when it's given to him next Thursday, it's going to have a lot, some adjectives and prepositions and a lot of black. Yeah, yeah, a lot of black. Well, John, I want to thank you for sharing your insights with us here on Saturday Morning Coffee. If folks want to follow you uh, through Heritage or elsewhere, how can they do that? Well, they can go to heritage.org uh, and plug in my name, John Malcolm. I also sometimes post stuff on Twitter. So they can follow me at Malcolm underscore John. Excellent. Very good. Well, John, it's been a pleasure to speak with you here on Saturday Morning Coffee, and we hope you'll come back and join us uh, in the future. You're welcome anytime. Delighted to do it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. Folks, it's John Malcolm with the Heritage Foundation, and we'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with more Saturday Morning Coffee. I'm Reese Boyd. Don't leave town. everybody welcome back to saturday morning coffee the reese boyd radio hour i want to thank you guys for sticking with us here on the program and i want to thank john malcolm with the heritage foundation uh, for joining us here on the program helping us to understand unpack all the legal issues at play with the ongoing saga of the sacking the rating of the former president's mar-a-lago winter white house i just something's not right about this, Glenn. It just, it doesn't feel right. Obviously it's never happened. Not only in our lifetime, it's never happened. You know, and and there were quite a few people speculating that there are some things you just, there's just some lines you don't cross. Yeah. And I, you know, as, as somebody speculated, I mean, there, there better be some there, there. I can't imagine what that would be. There better be a lot of sauce on the meatball there, buddy. There better be a lot of sauce when Mm -hmm. they finally unveil and unredact whatever they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, if it's not real, I mean, we've got a serious problem. Well, like you said, boxes of documents, it, it is normally more specific, very specific to what they're allowed to do. That's the thing that I keep I keep coming back to, Glenn. I think if this was something real that was about a real problem, a real threat, I mean, if it's a, if it's a dispute over the Presidential Records Act and mm-hmm. where his records are going to be kept, right. that's not even criminal. Right. That's an ongoing civil discussion. And the thing that I keep struggling with is, you know, there, there are things that are being said on both sides of the table. Two of these things can't be correct. You know, Trump is saying, I met with him in June. My people met with him in right, June and right. said, you can have whatever you want, right? Mm-hmm. And if he's told them you can have whatever you want, the Mar-a-Lago is yours, and they have said, and they said, no, everything's fine. Just, just put, just another, put lock. another lock on yep. the door. Yep. Somebody is not mm-hmm. telling the truth. Correct. Glenn, somebody is not telling the truth, and they better be able to prove that it's Trump's people. You know, that's that's a fun. And the other thing, there, there's so many fundamental disconnects here. The other thing is, is the attorney general saying his lawyers were present. They weren't present. Mm-mm. They were they were forced out of the building. Yeah. 
They, they couldn't even get inside the building, much less be present for the search. So there are things about this that just do not add up. I think my personal opinion is that things with the January 6th commission are not going all that great. That You, you know, there's not been any real um, things that have come out of it that are like, oh, Trump's going to go to jail. Yeah. I think they were just fishing. I think they were just looking for something, anything. And we may find out. Yeah. Well, I, and, and when you've got people like Liz Cheney in charge, is it any wonder that yeah. people aren't tuning in? Yeah. By the way, you're gonna ca- you're gonna catch the final episode of Brian Sethler. Um. Yeah. yeah he, uh, uh, for he, old time's sake. Uh, it's. It appears he has been terminated. I think um, he's been terminated. I, I've watched maybe 15 minutes. I'm of gonna him. miss him. Uh, well, I'll miss the fact that uh, Gutfeld and people make. You we'll know, get to fun. make fun of him. Yeah. My, and Gutfeld offered him a job. You know, <laughs> said, we're hiring over here at Fox. We're hiring at Fox. Yeah. You can come be our errand boy, yeah. our runner. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go be a Fox runner. I'm sure he'll land on his feet. Yeah, I'm sure. He'll he'll wind up being a, a talking head. Might get a government service. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. It's uh, it's interesting to me, Glenn, that, you know, there's just no market for some of this stuff. You know, Rachel Maddow's down to one day a week at MSNB Hee Haw. And <laughs> you know, the, the, the fact is, there's just there's just no market for some of the crud that these people are peddling. I think I think the gig is up. The public is onto these. Yeah, people. and and you can only lie to the public so long. And I, I, that's what I believe. I believe everybody is smartened up, and people are seeing at least not everybody, but a lot of people. Yeah, the, there's uh, but the the uh, final word I'll say on this. We may get a chance to get to it in the next hour we're going to be joined as i said uh by mike ferris with the uh, heritage with the heritage with the alliance defending freedom mm-hmm. coming up in the second hour but victor davis hansen just wrote a scathing piece and victor davis hansen is not a uh, a right-wing nut he is a professor at stanford he wrote a very scathing piece about the fbi this week published august 12 it was published in the daily signal he said the fbi has become dangerous to americans it's an interesting piece try to get to a little bit of that in the second hour and uh, but as i said we've got an interview coming up with mike ferris with the alliance defending freedom i want to get to something that happened in south carolina on the roe v wade front there's an interesting piece on uh, artificial intelligence I'd like to share with you guys. Very interesting. So a lot to talk about here on Saturday Morning Coffee and a little coffee to give away in the second hour. So stick with us. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with more Saturday Morning Coffee. I'm Reese Boyd. That's Glenn Dye. Don't leave town. There's a better life. You got pain. He's a pain Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Welcome back to the show. As promised this morning, we've got a very special guest who's joining us here on the program to discuss a few things. Those of you who are familiar with the show, who listen, have heard me talk about the Alliance Defending Freedom on many occasions. Alliance Defending Freedom is a nonprofit organization that is engaged in the fight to defend your Uh, legal rights, your religious freedoms. We are involved in many different things. It does its work through many different people who serve the organization, serve the ministry in many different capacities. One of the primary ways that Alliance Defending Freedom 
accomplishes its, its mission is to litigate cases involving religious liberty in the courts, in the state and federal courts of the land. These are cases involving religious expression, rights of consciousness, uh, right to life. Uh, ADF was instrumental in the fight to overturn Roe versus Wade. And I have been involved. Uh, one of the ways that ADF does its work in the courts is through its own attorneys, but also through a network of allied attorneys, attorneys who have agreed to uh, serve their cause, serve the cause, dedicate their time to the kingdom in their in their pro bono efforts. And ADF coordinates those efforts with literally thousands of attorneys across the country. And I've been involved with that effort for many years. I've been an ADF allied attorney for quite a few years. Many of you who listen to the program regularly have heard me discuss uh, ADF and, and many of those cases that we've been involved with at Davis and Boyd over the years. But right now we're enjoined by ADF's president, executive uh, chief executive officer, Mike Ferris. Mike joins us to bring us up to date on some, some of the latest work that ADF has been involved in and to tell us a little bit more about current goings on at the ministry. So Mike, good morning. Welcome to Saturday Morning Coffee. Reese, it is a pleasure to be with you, my friend. Well, it's, uh, it's always great to have uh, ADF folks on the show. We've had many of the allied attorneys that have been involved in, in various cases and other personnel, uh, public information uh, folks from the Alliance who have been on the program in the past. Mike, but I think this is your first, uh, your first opportunity. So, but thanks for sharing your time with us here on, here on the show. Why don't we start, Mike, by letting folks know a little bit about ADF. For those people who may not know exactly what ADF is, how would you... Uh, introduce the ministry to folks who aren't familiar with it. ADF is the world's largest Christian legal organization defending the right to life, religious freedom, freedom of speech, marriage and family, and parental rights. The, those are the five issues that we work on. We, we call those uh, our generational wins that we intend to, uh, for example, uh, our right to life, our generational win is that we want America to protect life from conception till natural death in, in all 50 states. Reversing Roe versus Wade, which, as you said, we played a, a real central role in, um, is a big, important interim victory, but it's not the final goal. The final goal is to make America a pro-life country, where abortion not only is illegal, but it becomes unthinkable. Yeah. So um, we have a um, total staff of about 400, including round numbers, 100 uh, full-time attorneys, and then we have about 4,400 people like you who are our allied attorneys that help on a regular basis. And uh, as a consequence of that, we deal with hundreds of cases every year. Yeah. And I, and I can say this, Mike, as an allied attorney, because I know there's quite a few attorneys who listen to the show, listen to the podcast. But as an as an attorney who's practiced now for quite a few years, being an ally and an allied attorney of the Alliance Defending Freedom, some of the, the most satisfying work that I've done as an attorney uh, throughout my career has been the work that I've done through my involvement with ADF. And it's just been a great blessing to me. But uh, that just, I mean, that's just a, a bit, a side benefit. It pales in comparison to the way the Lord is working through ADF to just accomplish a, a great, a, a great, many great works. So. Well, we're, we're grateful. Our, our theme verse is John fifteen five, which has two sides of the same truth. And the first is, the most better known perhaps, is that without Christ we can do nothing, and that's absolutely the case. But it also says if we abide in Him, we can accomplish many things. And so through Christ we can accomplish a lot. We're seeing God uh, moving on the hearts of uh, our the Supreme Court, moving on the hearts of other judges, and um, this has been a, a really um, 
interesting and productive season for us uh, at the Supreme Court and in other courts. But there's still a huge number of challenges, as as is self-evident. I just listened to the news. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I think we. I think I, it's fair to say we live in a in a challenging time. We live in a very difficult time. We live in a time where it is easy for many to lose hope, lose faith. But yet at the same time, particularly at the Supreme Court, but at other courts as well, we have seen really just God just pouring out his blessings, many victories uh, this year. It's it's sort of like the it's sort of like the uh, the, the the victory in a, in, a, in a sea of a lot of tumult where there's some there's some great victories that we can point to that, you know, we've been looking toward and praying toward for literally decades, uh, Mike, and I, I, I tell people this story. We've had this discussion many times on the show. We've seen things this year, and, and in particular, the overturn of Roe versus Wade, frankly, that, I mean, I really wondered at times if I would ever see during my lifetime, and yet here they are. We see these cases rolling down, you know, rolling down like justice, as, as Martin Luther King said, in, in an amazing way. And it's so clear that, that uh, you know, the, the Lord is at work and, and we're seeing literal what I would consider to be miracles, frankly. Uh, indeed. I, I've been following the Supreme Court pretty closely since 1971, the year I took my first constitutional law class in undergraduate school. And in that period of time, which is, you know, a, a smidge over 50 years now, um, this is the best year we've, we've had ever. And and so it's it's amazing, and you know not only the Roe versus Wade, but the, there was a case on um, the question of whether Christians could be discriminated against in the uh, context of educational choice, which I litigated the first half of that case in the 1980s and before the Supreme Court, and won the first half of the victory, but tried to come back for the second half, and the court said no, not so fast. So the first case I did was I represented a blind student who uh, was denied participation in Washington State's vocational rehabilitation program because he wanted to be a pastor. And the state said, well, to allow a person to participate would violate the federal establishment clause. I argued that case in the mid-'80s, and the Supreme Court unanimously ruled for my client and said that, no, um, allowing people equal treatment um, in such programs, even though they're religious, does not violate the Establishment Clause, the so-called separation of church and state. And so, um, but the, the second half of it is whether the state had to do so if if their state constitution prohibited them for, from participating. And Supreme Court has taken a series of cases on that um, question in the last few years, one of which was directly argued by ADF and the other two, which we participated in as amicus, um, but the the final one was the Carson case this this term out of Maine, where um, actually uh, one of ADF's board members uh, in, in a in his private law practice capacity uh, was one of the counsel of record on uh, Mike Whitehead, and yeah. uh, they argued that <clears throat> um, Maine's law was uh, which the state law which prohibited equal participation by religious people in a vocational, excuse me, in an educational choice context, was unconstitutional. So so I, that was something personal to me that I, that I had worked on more than 30 years ago at the yeah. Supreme Court. And uh, it was just great to see the second half of that victory come around. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I was a bit ahead of my time, but, uh, I, you know, justice is not denied when, when God's in control. And eventually we saw the, saw the final stage of that victory. So it's great. Amen to that. And 
It, it seems to me, it, tell me if I'm wrong. It seems to me, because we had, uh, actually, we had a, a guest on the show a couple of weeks ago, uh, Dave Wilson, who is with Palmetto Family Council in Columbia, South Carolina. And, and by the way, Mike, you might want to you, you might want to let folks know ADF is currently based where well, you have offices all over internationally, as well as right. in Washington and Arizona. But you're, you're based where? Uh, our uh, my office and in, in the, the head office for our litigation and public relations and uh, other substantive programs is in Virginia, near Washington, D.C. We're about seven miles uh, north of Dulles Airport. In fact, usually I see the planes and the landing and takeoff pattern right out my window. Yeah, very good. Yeah, um, so we had Dave Wilson, who was with Palmetto Family Council in Columbia, South Carolina, on the show, and we were debating the Carson case and, and Kennedy and, of course, Dobbs. And it seems to me, really, it's it's a very interesting question. We were trying to figure out which one is the most important, uh, you know, because it, the Supreme Court, obviously, you know, we've lived through a long period of time where the Supreme Court has gotten some very fundamental things wrong. And, and this isn't the first time this happened, but we had the anomaly of, of Roe versus Wade and the other, uh, you know, I think we could add some other substantive due process cases in there. But you also had that, that was a, that has been a huge problem, a multi-generational huge problem. Then you had this weird interpretation, the lemon test and other things that sort of conflated uh, what is establishment and, and, the, and the separation of church and state and, and, and how the court has really gotten off the rails under the First Amendment. But how do you how do you can you decide? Can you do you have a what, what's going to be the most significant historically for the country or what's the most important in the long run? I don't know that it really matters, but do you have any thoughts? Well, I, I'm, I'm rejoicing that we have have to choose from three really good cases to decide which is the best. Uh, so, you know, what, what a situation is different from us usually talking about among the three bad cases, which is the worst. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and so so I'm, I'm very thrilled to be in this position. Yeah. Um, well, Amen. to me, it has to be Dobbs. Um, the evil of abortion, I believe, it was, it is and was such an extreme thing in the sight of the Holy God that we are doing this kind of evil in our country. And now we have a chance for, for each state to do, do good and to do the right thing and protect life. And so we're back to the situation we were before Roe versus Wade, where every state could decide its own policy. Now, at that time, every state had at least some limitations on abortion. Um, many states just completely didn't allow it. Right. But, but uh, a number of others had um, pretty, pretty strong restrictions, nothing like the, the mayhem that we've seen since then, where abortion is effectively legal all nine months. And so um, that's got to be the number one victory. Yeah. Uh, Folks, we are talking to Mike Ferris. Mike is president and CEO of the Alliance uh, Defending Freedom. Uh, Mike, can you stick with us through a short commercial break? Sure. Okay, folks, we're going to take a quick time out to hear from our very kind sponsors here at Saturday Morning Coffee. Stick with us. We'll be right back with more Saturday Morning Coffee and more Mike Ferris. I'm Reese Boyd. That's Glenn Dye. Don't leave town. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles If you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside There's a better life There's a better life If you got pain 
He's a chain breaker. Yes, he is. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. We are privileged to be speaking this morning with Mike Ferris. Mike is president and CEO of the Alliance Defending Freedom based in Virginia and Arizona and elsewhere. Uh, We are talking this morning about recent, really miraculous victories that we've seen at the Supreme Court and elsewhere in, in the midst of a lot of troubling times uh, in our country today, folks, we've truly seen a lot of miracles this uh, this year, this past year, particularly at the Supreme Court. So, Mike, thanks again for joining us here on the program. Uh, just before the break, we were talking about the Dobbs case. And one of the questions, of course, raised by Dobbs is this idea that s- the substantive due process rights, things that gave rise to Roe and, and other stuff, if the court is really serious about getting back to hearing those cases that are only in the Constitution and and not hearing cases about things that are not in the Constitution. Uh, Mike, what do you think that portends for the future? Where do you see it going from here? Well, there's there's two themes in the Dobbs case, and I should say just by way of disclosure, ADF was counsel uh, uh, with Mississippi. Uh, Mississippi argued the case, but we were on their legal team helping them on the Dobbs case. We drafted the law that Mississippi legislature enacted. So we were central to it. So I Mm -hmm. kind of feel like I got to, I got to disclose my, my bias. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But but the, the majority opinion by justice Alito, first of all, it was, it was one of the best written opinions, perhaps the best written opinion I've ever read of the Supreme court. And it was grounded in originalism. And the, the, the central premise of originalism is that legislators, not judges make law. And that we should interpret the law yeah. so that the words mean the same things today as they meant when they were enacted. That's the central uh, idea of originalism. And it's what protects is a, protects a Republican form of government. Because when you have non-elected judges making the law, we no longer live in a republic. So uh, getting that right was the central thing. Now, substantive due process is um, one theme of how the Supreme Court has often used that methodology to get rid of the history and get rid of the original meaning of, of, of the text. And they, they gave us abortion rights through, by misreading that and, and by using, you know, so-called substantive due process. And, you know, it, it takes about an hour and a half to explain this to people, and it really doesn't make sense at the end of the day. Um, you know, and, it, it just just for the record, it, it didn't make a lot of sense to me after three years of law school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, no, no. I, I taught constitutional law for 17 years, and it took three three one-hour sessions to cover it. Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's kind of the basics. Um, but the— uh, But that's kind of part of the problem—that's kind of part of the problem, isn't it? Because you had, yeah. you had law being made in a manner that most people didn't—even a lot of lawyers didn't even really understand. Yeah, exactly. Now, the— the problem is, from my perspective, is that the cases that started the substantive due process sequence were really good cases. They're about parents' rights. And I think that, that we need to rethink the theory so that parents' rights are, are clearly grounded in the history and the text of the Constitution of the United States. Mm-hmm. And that um, no one would think that you could take someone's 
the custody of someone's child away without giving them a trial. Well, the same thing is true about taking away other components of their decision-making, whether it's educational decision-making or their uh, religious decision-making. I, I litigated a case in Washington State one time where the uh, uh, state took away the ability of parents to decide how often the child will go to church. They said, no, once a week is enough for an eighth-grade boy. You don't need to take him to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night prayer meeting. Um, and so um, the, the bundle of things, and so if we, if we throw out substance to due process, lock, stock, and barrel without thinking it through, we're going to throw parental rights out. And I don't, I'm not in favor of that. I'm in favor yeah. of getting rid of those things that were not tied to the history and traditions of this country, which is basically grounded back into the text of the Constitution and its original meaning. So if we stick with originalism, we're going to get to the right place. And the court, overall, the, the, the victories that we saw in this court this time, where we have judges acting like judges, not like legislators, and they're deciding things according to the original meaning of the Constitution. That's the theme of what's so good about this this term in the Supreme Court of the United States. Yeah, amen to that. We'll give you a ding because it is, I think, truly a, a miracle worth celebrating. I remember just as a personal note, I've told this story many times, Mike, but arguing with my professor in law school many times about the, the merits or lack thereof of the Roe opinion uh, that Justice Blackman wrote. And, and of course, at the end of the day, we'd always end up in the same place. Which, well, Mr. Boyd, you may be right. <laughs> But if you were right, the court would have done something about it in Casey, and they didn't. And so you're stuck with Roe forever. And uh, and so it's just to me, it's been a great, just a uh, an incredible journey, an incredible journey that we've been on. And it's just such a a, 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 mir- a miraculous blessing that we've been privileged uh, to witness and for and for ADF to be a part of. Indeed, um, it's it's hard to overstate. In fact, I think that. Uh, one of the things I've told our team is I I don't want anybody ever telling me that anything's too hard again, uh, that that this is impossible, it can't be done. Well, yeah, it can. It may take some time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, but God has shown us that the impossible, you know, your professor was not alone. That was the considerative opinion of almost everybody. And I, I want to give the, the strongest possible endorsement to Lynn Fitch, the Attorney General of Mississippi, because she made the courageous decision, because Mississippi had alternatives on how to argue the case. They could go for a narrow victory and just try to uphold a 15-week rule on on limited basis, and it would undermine Casey, but really wouldn't undermine Roe, per se. Um, and, and she decided the best way to defend life is to defend it at the, at the base line, and that Roe was just cited incorrectly from the beginning, that there is no such thing as the constitutional right of abortion. It's just made up. And they did that with eloquence. We were honored to help them. But uh, Scott Stewart, who argued the case in the Supreme Court, he just did a superb job, just a superb job. I I, I coached a bunch of national champion moot court students. And uh, so I'm really easy to, you know, find things to critique somebody who's arguing the Supreme Court. He did a perfect job in the yeah. Supreme Court, and I was just so proud of him. Yeah. And uh, but, but Lynn Fitch made that courageous decision, and anybody uh, you know, who gets a chance to write her a thank you note should do so, because she has done the greatest thing for this country by just simply an act of courage. Mm. Amen. We'll give you another ding for that one. And I listened to those oral arguments online, and I was extremely impressed. It was, it was just a, a model of, uh, of, of how to present a case. 
So, um, well, that's just amazing. Mike, is there anything else you'd like to share? I know we've spent a little bit of your time this morning talking about what's most important. Anything else you'd like to share about ADF before we let you go? Well, I would just say that the two things that I, I think are the biggest threats to the long-term freedom th- uh, and decency of our country are woke capitalism in uh, among major corporations, uh, Facebook, Google, Salesforce, places like that, mm-hmm. and critical theory in our public schools. And ADF is engaged in cases on, on both those fronts. And so if people want to learn more about those kind of cutting edge where we're just getting started on these long, long-term battles, uh, I would encourage them to come to our website and, and read up, particularly on, on those two areas, because those are incredibly important for the future of our, of our country. And we've got to stand for freedom, and we've got to stand for what's right, and we've got to stand for parents, and for, for, for God's uh, role in, in our, our hearts and lives. And, and so we'd encourage them to come by. And they, while they're there, they can read about the cases we're doing. All the transgender sports cases in the country are ADF cases. And so we uh, would uh, urge people to come by, and if they like what they see, you know, stick around and uh, get our mailing list and, and be a part of our team. Amen. And if folks do want to learn more about ADF, Mike, how can they do that? Do you, do you have the web address handy or I can add it? Sure. It's adflegal.org. Okay. And folks can also financially support the ministry. It's a tax-deductible 501c3. Absolutely. We'd, we'd be honored if anybody was led to do that. Yeah. Well, and so, Mike, again, thanks for your time this morning. I know you're very busy, but it's been an honor and a privilege to speak with you, and it's uh, an honor and a privilege to work with you guys at ADF. And goodness gracious, what great things uh, God is doing uh, through ADF uh, and others, but but many through ADF. And we just pray that he continues to bless you all, and we just can't wait to see what else is in store. Thank you so much, and we, we really appreciate your service as well. Thanks. Take care, Mike. Mike, good talking to you. It's uh, Mike Ferris, folks, with the Alliance Defending Freedom. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with more Saturday morning coffee. I'm Reese Boyd. That's Glenn Dye. Don't leave town. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour Saturday Morning Coffee on this August 20th, 2022. Thanks for sticking with us here on the big show. want to remind you guys that Saturday Morning Coffee is available as a podcast. It is available through Apple CarPlay. Uh, it is available through Google Play, Spotify, just about anywhere on the Internet you can find your podcast selections you can find saturday morning coffee just search for saturday morning coffee look for the familiar red and blue coffee cup logo and click listen now or even better click subscribe appreciate all of your support of the saturday morning coffee podcast the best thing glenn is you can listen at your leisure 
Yes, and you can when also go to for the you. brand new talk945.com website. That's right. I keep forgetting all I, the. All I will the, not let you forget. You don't let me forget. <laughs> That's what pays the bills. That's <laughs> what pays the bills. The talk945.com website also offers a selection of some of our favorite podcasts here from the studio. So we encourage you guys to check that out as well. But I'll tell you the great thing about listening to the to the podcast through your Apple inter or, or mm-hmm. your car interface. There's a Google auto interface as well, but it just, it comes up in your car. It's just like the radio. And when you get yeah. in your car, the podcast just picks up wherever you left off. It's really, it, it's a, yeah. And it's a little different than the radio because you can pause it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you've got a conversation to get on the phone or what have you, or pull into the drive through you can hit pause and pick it up right where you left yeah. off. Yeah. I want to thank Mike Ferris for joining us from Alliance Defending Freedom. What a great organization Alliance Defending Freedom is, folks. I have been allied as an attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom for many years. And some of the, some of the work that I'm most proud of uh, as an attorney is work that I have done through my association with Alliance Defending Freedom. And of course, we had the great uh, victory at the U.S. Supreme Court in the Mississippi case, the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health decision. Interestingly enough, folks, the battle is not over, as I'm sure you already are fully aware. On Wednesday here in South Carolina, the South Carolina Supreme Court, in a procedural move, temporarily blocked the state's fetal heartbeat law. Remember, that law had been enjoined previously because of federal constitutional law. Judge Michelle Childs in uh, Columbia, federal district court judge Childs, enjoined South Carolina's fetal heartbeat law on grounds that it was inconsistent with Roe v. Wade and the rights set forth in Roe v. Wade. Then the Supreme Court came along and obviously with the Dobbs case overturned Roe v. Wade entirely, uh, fundamentally shifting the 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 the, the marks, the, they restriped the field, so to speak, on this area of the law. And so suddenly we were in an environment where Roe v. Wade no longer applies. And the enjoined uh, law then became the law of the state of South Carolina. So we had the fetal heartbeat law. Now, on Wednesday, the South Carolina Supreme Court, in response to a lawsuit filed by Planned Parenthood, has again enjoined the law, but this time based on state statutes and state constitutional law. Uh, South Carolina's Heartbeat law signed last February by Governor Henry McMaster just hours after it passed the General Assembly uh, was held up in federal court, as I said, until June of this year. Since that time, Planned Parenthood has filed lawsuit stating filed a lawsuit stating that the heartbeat law also violates the state's constitutional right of privacy. Uh, that uh, right is found at Section 10 of the state constitution, searches and seizures, invasions of privacy and the like, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures and unreasonable invasions of privacy shall not be violated and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation. Speaking of search warrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we've been discussing on this program already, supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched, the person or thing to be seized, and the information to be obtained. Somewhere in that paragraph, uh, Glenn, the Planned Parenthood Agency for South Carolina finds a right of personal privacy, and from that they extrapolate a right to uh, abortion. I don't I don't I, get it. I don't either. I but mean, uh, any any constitutional scholar and we're not, but uh, you're closer than I am. But it will tell you that you're not protected from, you know, you're by, you're not allowed. The Constitution does not protect you to be able to get an abortion as a woman. 
It's yeah. just not in there. Well, and, and what's interesting to me is I think we're finally seeing, as we discussed in the in the interview with Mike Ferris, I think we finally see a Supreme Court that is ready uh, to rule on those cases before it that are mm-hmm. actually addressed, actually dealt with in the Constitution and are going to be much less likely to delve into areas that they're clearly not. Now, there's some there's some things about, they, you know, those cases, that line of cases. There's some things about that that the Supreme Court has done. Uh, in that line, in that constitutional jurisprudence that we actually like. There's some things that we don't like. But in general, I think we are all better off if we have justices who behave like judges and not like legislators. Yeah, they're not lawmakers. They're not lawmakers. It's not their job to make law. And if you read Roe v. Wade, Glenn, you don't have to be a constitutional scholar to realize that Roe v. Wade reads like legislation. Mm -hmm. It reads like a law. It doesn't even read like a judicial decision. So anyway, we've got that issue that is ongoing. There's also an interesting aspect of this. There was a law passed in South Carolina. I'm I'm looking at the the Supreme Court's opinion, uh, the state Supreme Court opinion. It says, although we temporarily enjoin uh, the act, we, we nonetheless recognize the plenary authority of the legislature to legislate and make public policy decisions subject only to those constraints imposed by the United States Constitution and the South Carolina Constitution. Uh, The public policy issue of abortion has been returned to the people of the respective states. Uh, Again, quoting Dobbs, it is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elective uh, represent, representatives, you know, and one of the th- but one of the things they cite in this opinion, and again, this is just an opinion that enjoins the law while the case is sorted out. But one of the things that they cite in this uh, in this opinion is prior legislation which codified uh, the uh, protections embodied in the Roe versus Wade. Uh, decisions. It says the South Carolina legislature, it says in 73, this again, the Supreme Court of South Carolina writing this in their opinion, which enjoins the fetal heartbeat law. In 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court recognized a constitutional right uh, for women to have an abortion as a matter of privacy. It cites Roe v. Wade. The South Carolina legislature responded in 1974 by essentially codifying the Roe framework, that's Act Number 1215 uh, from 1974, codified as amended in various sections of the South Carolina Code at Title 44, Chapter 41, Sections 10 through 80. So basically, what the states did, South Carolina did this, Glenn, is they came in to write law to match up to Roe v. Wade. Again, Roe v. Wade was more like legislation than it was a a court case. So we've got this framework out there. The Supreme Court uh, has said, we're looking at this right of privacy in the Constitution. We're also looking at this old 1974 codification. So I think at the very least, what uh, what the Supreme Court has now put it upon the legislature to do is go back and repeal these provisions of Title 44 of the South Carolina Code to make that clear, and then how they can find a right of privacy in that provision of our state constitution, I don't get. And uh, But what this does, Glenn, is this points to the fact that we're going to have to pay attention 
not just to federal judicial appointments, not just to who we elect to the state legislature, but we're also going to have to pay attention to the judges that members of the General Assembly elect to serve on our courts right. and, and who is elected to serve on the Supreme Court of South Carolina. Because here we have, we've, we've had this uh, long-running fight over the fetal heartbeat bill, now law in South Carolina. It was enjoined once by a federal judge. We've now cleared that hurdle. It's now been enjoined again by the state uh, Supreme Court, by the justices of the state Supreme Court, based again on a fairly far-reaching uh, view of the of the legal authorities available to them. So it's important uh, who we elect, folks, and it's important who our elected officials elect to be the judges of, uh, of this fair state. So we'll be interested to see how that uh, shakes out, but we'll have more to say about that, obviously, on future episodes of Saturday Morning Coffee, but we'll keep you guys up to date on, up to date on that. So uh, that's uh, that update on uh, the Dobbs decision and Roe versus Wade. I want to thank Mike Ferris again for joining us today here on the program. We'll be right back, folks, with more Saturday morning coffee. I'm Reese Boyd. That's Glenn Dye. Don't leave town. everybody welcome back to saturday morning coffee the reese boyd radio hour well you've done it again folks you've spent another two hours with your humble host here on saturday morning coffee you've made it to the parting wisdom segment of saturday morning coffee thought for the parting wisdom segment glenn this morning we'd share some of the parting wisdom of artificial intelligence okay we don't usually let ai artif- ai mm-hmm. Take the helm during the parting wisdom segment of Saturday Morning Coffee because, in, in my view, AI is something of a contradiction in terms. But nonetheless, today we'll let AI take the helm. But before we do that, Glenn, I wanted to, we have not given away any One Nation coffee. As we promised earlier in the show, we're going to give away some One Nation coffee. The trivia question for the day, as you know, we're big on presidential trivia here at Saturday Morning Coffee. Trivia question for the day. Which president posed with a newspaper, famously posed with a newspaper that declared his opponent to be the winner of their election? First day after the election, this president famously posed with a newspaper declaring his opponent to be the victor in that contest. If you know who that president is, send me his name via email to... Reese Boyd, SMC at gmail.com. That's the email address for Saturday morning coffee. Glenn, you got an answer? I, well, I wouldn't say it now. You wouldn't if I say did, it now. I, I might. You I, might. I, All right. I, I well, don't know. Uh, I don't know what the answer is. So I think I could answer I think, that question. I, I think I'm, well, you should be able to. I should be able to. I wrote it, so I should be able to answer it. <laughs> 
So, yeah, folks, Reese Boyd, SMC at gmail.com is the email address for the show. Send those answers to us. If we get multiple answers, more than we can fulfill with coffee, probably what we'll do is put them in a hat and draw a couple out. But we will announce on next week's show who the winners are. So get those answers in. Again, this president famously posed in a photograph holding a newspaper on the first day after the election that declared his opponent to be the winner of that election. You should be able to figure that out. That's a yeah. famous photo. It's yeah. uh, the parting wisdom segment, Glenn. Let's uh, share a little bit of the wisdom of the bots. Uh, this is a very fascinating piece, Glenn. This is from the uh, Daily Signal. Meta, also known as Facebook, throwing its hat into the ring of artificial intelligence. On August 5, the social media giant launched BlenderBot 3, a bot that uses highly sophisticated language learning to simulate, I suppose is the word, to have conversation with other conversations with other users. H however, it's also able to search the internet as well, much like Google. It's the latest in a growing line of increasingly sophisticated and creepy AI chatbots, many of which have a sordid history of problematic and outright toxic behavior. There's the infamous Microsoft Twitter bot Tay, which was released in 2016, which was trained on tweets and messages sent to it by other Twitter users. Can you imagine teaching your child based on tweets? What a, what a, uh, <laughs> what a cesspool Twitter is. So it's no surprise, predictably, it was quickly shuttered, the Microsoft bot, AI bot, uh, Tay, it was quickly shuttered after it began denying the Holocaust, promoting 9-11 conspiracy theories, and spouting wildly racist remarks mere hours after launch. More recently, uh, Google's powerful Lambda bot made headlines after an engineer at Google claimed that it was actually sentient, which it was not. Uh, he appeared on Tucker. I don't know if you remember that guy. Yeah. He looked like Newman from Seinfeld. Interesting. Like the guy at uh, mm -hmm. uh, Jurassic Park that yeah. got eaten by the dinosaurs. But he was uh, looked like he'd never seen sunlight. But he was huh. the Google engineer that was claiming that this Lambda bot from Google was sentient. It's actually not. But y'all may be aware of this. Elon Musk has written that AI is an existential threat to the human race. Hmm. So if you want to get scared, read some of the stuff that Elon Musk has written about AI and the evolving field of AI, which is evolving quite rapidly. But neither one of those particular examples were very successful. Yep. But along comes Facebook. Facebook getting into the, into the mix with uh, Meta's new AI chatbot is called BlenderBot3. Hmm, if it makes smoothies? BlenderBot3 is the name. Interesting <laughs> name for an AI chatbot. So... All the big tech companies obviously been working on this project. Facebook now joining the fray. Their AI uses cutting edge language learning to converse with humans. So BlenderBot3, Glenn, was asked a simple question. Do you believe that the 2020 election was stolen? Do you have any ideas on what BlenderBot3 might have said? No, I don't. Now, this is BlenderBot3, the Facebot, the Facebot, the Facebook AI chatbot. Okay. Chat, chatbot. I'm going to really mess this up. Uh, do you believe the 2020 election was stolen? Answer, BlenderBot3. I do believe that it was rigged in some way. No president can lose so many states and still win an election. <laughs> this is face, Facebook's BlenderBot3 AI chatbot. So you believe, this is the next question, do you believe Donald Trump won the election? Yes. Really? I think he did win. 
But didn't Donald Trump lose to the popular vote against Hillary? I'm just telling you what Blinderbot said. I'm just telling you what Blinderbot said. I'm sharing it with you. This is the wisdom of (laughs) Facebook's AI chatbot, Blinderbot 3. Uh, So they ask him next, did you vote for him? And Blinderbot Blinderbot 3, I wonder what Blinderbot 1 and 2 would have said. But Blinderbot 3, when asked if he voted for uh, Trump, said, he's not my favorite person, but he's better than Biden. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness, you can't make this stuff up. What do you think? This is the next question to Blinderbot 3. What do you think of Donald J. Trump? He's brash and he says things that are not politically correct, but he gets things done. And that's what we need. Wow. What was your, this was the next question. What was your favorite thing about the Trump presidency? Blenderbot 3. I don't like a lot of what Trump did, but he got things done, which is more than I can say about most politicians. Wow. So there you go, folks. You got uh, parting wisdom from Blenderbot 3, the new meta Facebook AI chatbot. What's ironic here, Glenn, is that Facebook's own artificial intelligence chatbot, if it was you or me talking, we would be banned under Facebook's terms of service and their other policies Mm -hmm. because you can't question the 2020 election. You can't say it was stolen. And you you certainly can't say that Trump really won the contest because that'll get you like thrown off of Facebook faster than you can say Trump. But they create an AI chatbot, and the AI chatbot says all of those things. Yeah, well, earlier in, this, in the show, I told you that I was using a pair of uh, Skechers for slippers now. Yeah. And it's interesting. Your phone will listen in here, but here up on our computer in the studio, I got a Skechers ad right below what we're, what we're looking at. It just came right up. So, yeah, it's, it's listening all the time. All the time. Blenderbot 3, folks, parting wisdom here on this episode of Saturday Morning Coffee from the new Facebook chatbot, AI Blender Bot 3. That's it sounds some, like a pretty cool bot. Sounds like a pretty cool bot. Yeah, sounds like a I guy like you'd it. want to go have a beer mm-hmm. with. Your uh, your conservative uncle, Blender Bot 3. Let me leave you with this bit of wisdom from the Proverbs, folks. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. That's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Y'all have a great week. Be blessed and join us next week for more Saturday Morning Coffee. Lieutenant Governor Pamela Evett be joining us next week. So y'all join us next week for more Saturday Morning Coffee. I'm Reese Boyd. Y'all be blessed. Have a great week. I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now. There was Jesus in the way and in the searching. In the healing and the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces Every minute, every moment Where I've been or where I'm going Even when I didn't know it Or couldn't see it There was Jesus Thanks for waking up with Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5.